0: Haven't fast-forwarded through this part yet. Here's
1: Brandon. Welcome to the Brandon Peter Show and the Summer of '82 at '40' series. The summer
2: of 82 at 40.
1: A weekend by weekend look at the movies released during the summer of that year. As always, with me from the magazine where you learn about financials of movies and things right yeah not just it's not just like stocks and shit it's movies and things too it's from forbes scott meddleson
2: pleasure to be here as always
1: uh-huh. we're heading toward
2: the end lap It's yeah, leading up to this
1: penultimate episode here uh, this week of just the summer of 82 at 40 this podcast stays after this but we'll be looking at august 20th through 22 of 1982 uh just a double feature today only two movies only two movies remain but yeah a double feature of uh some science fiction cult classic things that are beloved by people and stuff Yeah, but uh, as always, let's head on over and check out the news of the moment first. It's the news of the moment. And what you've just been listening to is the ultimate in recorded sound. It will make all conventional disc and cassette systems obsolete. It's dustproof, scratchproof, digitally recorded, read by a laser, and it's called the Compact Disc. This week, on August 17th and Technically, the eighteenth, the Los Angeles Dodgers beat the Chicago Cubs six to five in twenty-one innings. The game started the seventeenth; it was completed the eighteenth, and it's the longest game ever at Wrigley Field.
2: That's probably a rare occasion where you can get you can get out of the parking lot faster if you stay to the end of the game.
1: True. Yeah, get home <laughs> faster. Yeah. <laughs> Might as well stay, honey. Yeah. Uh, on August 17th, uh, the first compact discs were released to the public in Germany. CDs, folks. music For those on a disc. of you
2: too young to remember, there once was a thing called a compact disc that could play your music on a small machine called a CD
1: player. You could select the songs track to track you, you you wouldn't have to put a needle at the right point you wouldn't no have to would fast forward have... it was a marvelous technology it Music took beat. they took the the audio the lossless clean audio of a vinyl and compressed it down to a digital form and put it on a disc it was great um yeah just CD is that the last major and successful format before the mp3? over the yeah. digital streaming because they tried mini disc, that didn't work they tried dvd audio and no one cared about that there was uh, super audio cds uh but yeah this cd this is the beginning of the end for physical media with although vinyl are still very popular it's a niche item now it came made a comeback cds i doubt make that comeback on August eighteenth, the New York Stock Exchange sets trading record of one hundred thirty-two million six hundred ninety thousand shares traded. Congrats to you, brokers and sellers and buyers, bulls the and whatever. Well,
2: industry as we know it lived happily ever after.
1: It all started here in the summer of eighty-two, <laughs> in August. <gasps> So here's a record that isn't in the Hall of Fame. Pete Rose on August 18th sets a record with his 13,941st plate appearance. It's a record, but there's more Pete Rose in this podcast than I was expecting. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't <laughs> bet. I wouldn't bet on it being in the Hall of Fame. There's okay. There's one person. I take that wager. Right. There's one person, and it's going to be in our next episode, that has been a recurring character. He's a baseball player, other than not Pete Rose, but he's been a recurring character all throughout the summer of 82 at 40. He's a cast member that we have a guest star. He shows up during sweeps and stuff, but he'll be back next week, and we'll see if you remember who he is when we get there. Uh, On (laughs) August 19th, Ronaldo uh, Nehemiah of the U.S. sets record for 110-meter hurdles at 12.93 seconds. Congrats, you're fast. Uh, What? (laughs) uh, On August 21st, American Major League Baseball Milwaukee Brewers relief pitcher Raleigh Fingers becomes the first pitcher to get save number 300. That's better than 299, but not quite as good as 301. All right. Uh, one death to note this week: uh, Ula Jacobson, uh, who was in Zulu, passed away. Uh, not the movie Zulu, not because of the stuff that happened to Zulu. Uh, birthdays this week: Erica Christensen, uh, Mark Sailing of Glee, and Melissa Fumero of Brooklyn Nine Nine. All born this way, because you know if you watch Brooklyn Nine Nine, the start she goes. Happy birthday to you, Melissa. Mark Sailing. Yep. Mark Sailing from Glee. Is he the one that.
2: Who'd he play on Glee?
1: Uh huh. I didn't watch Glee.
2: Sorry. There's one male actor from the first season that apparently uh, died
1: by. Suicide. Oh, he did die. Yes. He died yeah, in the guy that 2015. Got caught with porn. That was him. Yeah. Just curious. Yep. Sailing takes me away. Yep. That guy. He was born.
2: As ridiculous as Glee was and as badly plotted and consistently written, it really is a show that's unlike any show that has aired before or since. Mm -hmm. And when it was on its A game, it was spectacular.
1: Yep. Mm -hmm. (sighs) Oh. Fondness for years not so far away.
0: Late Night Monday on Fantasy Island, a man's dream of double pleasure turns into double trouble. I'm
2: afraid if either were to find out you were having a romance with the other, the weekend would
0: be a disaster. You must have me confused with my twin sister, Nina. And a would-be lawyer fights for his life in court. You are charged with murder in the first degree.
1: That's a lie!
0: You've got to call it off, Mr. Rock. You wanted a big case.
2: Fantasy Island, Late Night Monday. Is it any bigger than murder?
1: All right. Uh, speaking of Glee and television, let's move right on to the Nielsen rating systems. We have a short week of the movies. Uh, our top ten: number one, Too Close for Comfort on ABC. 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 Uh, number two, Filthy Rich on CBS. Slides down one spot to number two. Number three, The Jeffersons on CBS. Number four, Three's Company on ABC. Number five, Fantasy Island on ABC. Number six. A Barbara Walters summer special on ABC. I don't... I didn't look up who was on this one. Sorry. Uh, Number seven. Maybe it's a rerun of the Clint Eastwood one we talked about earlier in the year. Because doing a summer special in August? Late August? Hmm. Number seven. Trapper John, MD, on CBS. Number eight. Mash on CBS. Number nine. Alice on CBS. And number... Ten. 60 Minutes on CBS. NBC got shut out of the top 10 doesn't appear till number 13 with facts of life and only twice total having a rough time not must see TV where's we'll be your back. Thursday night lineup they will come back hardcore and own the 90s but uh yeah it's cheers isn't is barely off the ground at this point so it, had a, it it was slow to be a big deal.
2: Uh, that's a lot of shows that we mm-hmm. consider to be cultural touchdowns.
1: Shows were given when, a chance to grow. You had to be really bad to... Well, when you have, what, four networks, you know,
2: what's the harm?
1: Yeah. To a certain extent. Yeah. Um, Let word of mouth happen. We don't do yeah. that now. And we don't even know if show our shows we like and are talking about that are buzzworthy are even doing good. And then they get canceled and we're like... Oh, people on Twitter said it was popular. Damn. I really like that Netflix show with the guy checking out the old VHS tapes.
2: (laughs) That's gone. I I really liked the Save by the Bell uh, sequel. And I don't even like the original Save by the Bell show. But the Peacock one is spectacular. But nobody watched
1: it. As we're talking, Seasons It Out. As we're talking, Made for Love just got yoinked. Yep. I'm like, geez. I'll be very curious,
2: and I like the show a lot. But if Girls Five ever gets a third season, because mm-hmm. it's one of those situations, and this happens a lot with streaming, where the first season comes on, it's got a lot of free media attention, goes viral, people think peace and discourse, and blah 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 blah. Yeah. And then when the second season basically drops with and without any warning and almost no publicity, it sort of just unless you are aware enough to look for it or you catch just the right, you know twitter ad you don't even know it's on again right and nobody watches it and it gets canceled after two years well
1: that happens to me too i pay attention to like all sorts of shit and i miss things that are like oh shoot that started today like we have too much stuff on like (laughs) way too like i I talked about uh recently this year um i said made for love but they were airing that hacks and flight attendant all the same day, all the same time, and those shows fit a niche where I'm like, shouldn't one be like fall, then winter, and spring? Like, why are you pushing these? So I worry about their future as well. Well, even I would argue Disney Plus is
2: you know, overloading on Marvel and Lucasfilm concurrently mm-hmm. when they don't need to. Yeah. Especially when, you know, the service is so dependent on Luke, you know, Star Wars and Marvel shows, because all due respect, very little else there other than you know, animated films that were supposed to be in theaters, uh, are mm-hmm. doing well on that service. I mean, yeah. Olivia Rodrigo takes over the pop world, becomes the Heir apparent to Taylor Swift, Katy Perry, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and the needle doesn't move for High School Musical season two. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's been a problem before, quote unquote, streaming, where one, th- one positive variable does not affect something else. So, right. for example, the example I always use is that. You know, Tom Hanks hosts Saturday Night Live in October of 2016. David S. Pumpkin takes over the internet for a good week, but still Inferno Bombs. Yeah. Yeah. And most people couldn't even tell you what movie he was advertising that week.
1: Right. Because um, there's no crossover. Yeah. Oh, that's, I, I mean, very true. And but a lot anyway. of people, a, pop, a lot of people, I mean, they want to, they it's a stand culture thing too when it comes to that like yes. they just like the idea of a per- like they don't go see their movies that they want to say they do or like think about them oh that looks so cool or they're doing this but they'll only go see them if they're in like the Marvel movie like it's so bizarre to me with as and and people the stand culture also is very character based more so than actors yeah and that's yes. just a disturbing thing because yeah to me I just like there's care fictional characters in a movie and it's cool, like, oh I like that person or like they're written like they can go anywhere. Like in sorry you picked someone who ended up being a bad guy. Whoop de doo. <laughs> like, yeah, you shouldn't have like lived your life by, you know, some queen vicious or something. Like it's like yeah, it's and they get mad because it took turns that they wouldn't have done. That feels like care for my person. Like you're just as bad as hashtag not my James Bond from back then. So sorry. <laughs> like I, I don't get into hey, that. I at
2: least Lady Gaga fans actually show up.
1: They do. They do. We love them. We were talking off yes. air. They're great. We love the Lady Gaga fans. Um, oh. they're amazing. There are good fandoms. They're good. They're always shit people with fandoms and good people. And I
2: I think there's a subset of just
1: unmitigated,
2: racist, sexist, misogynistic assholes mm-hmm. that hop from one pop culture fandom to another shitting right. on the bed, yeah. hoping to, you know, just for whatever reason. Uh, but mm-hmm. even aside from that, you know, fan, you know, subset of human being, and really I wish we would stop giving them a seat at the table via an SEO-driven media landscape,
1: mm-hmm. uh,
2: There, there are certain fandoms that I think when you start to think that your fantasy franchise IP is supposed to be taken seriously at all times, I think that's when we start to get into trouble. Yep. Um, I think one reason the discourse around Godzilla v. Kong last year was so fun was that everybody was nice, everybody was happy, and you didn't get into arguments with people who thought that Godzilla v. Kong should have been nominated for Best Picture.
1: Right. Well, that's the Godzilla fandom is great. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, maybe just... What I see of it is always positive and having fun and just not taking it too seriously. I think the American audiences have trouble with Godzilla things a lot of the time too because they don't realize we're supposed to be having fun. It's not supposed. The humans aren't. You're not. You don't need to follow the humans like to a T. They don't have to be perfect. Like, yeah, that um, they're always the problem with the things. But like, I, I mean, I, I, I involved. Like, we were, ta- we're talking We talk about here. Like, I do conventions, things like that. Um, and I'm being there. Like. Not that the shitheads don't show up to those, but for the most part, people are very positive, open minded to differences and stuff, and t- like have positive conversations and stuff with what they like and how they like it and stuff. And it's very different than the keyboard warrior thing where everybody thinks is an actual reality. I mean, a lot, of- and I've learned too through this stuff. I've been around a lot of young people. They don't give a fuck about Twitter. They don't care about the most of them are if they have one of the old people's like social media things. It's Instagram because there's Yuck. nobody yakety yakking and it's just fun stuff. But they don't pay attention to Twitter like, and they are a good chunk of a population as well. And they're not there. And maybe it's because of that negative stuff that I mean goes on on Twitter and stuff. But like. You can't just judge it by tw- It's not reality. Whether whether it's your movie going, whether it's what you think the political landscape or world, it, the world is from either direction. I'm not going to pick on a political mindset here. Both sides on there have painted an illusion of the world uh, for themselves in disgusting fashions and maybe a little too optimistic thinking fashions. <laughs> but <laughs> it's what it is. Go out. Meet People, I know some of us are introverts and have that, but if you can find where your factions get together, you'll learn that eh, maybe not everybody's a shithead. And maybe people come off different in person than they might on the internet, too. But we are soapboxing. <laughs> this is all going to get cut. <laughs> the best, this is the best TV discussion that wound up in this. But you know, <laughs> speaking of youth, speaking of disconnects, speaking of shitheads, let's go to the class of nineteen. 84, our A first film uh, class of 1984
2: I run this school no teacher can teach them no parent can reach them I am the future I am the future I am the future, am the future. if they are the future who will stop them Class of 1984. Rated R.
1: Directed by Mark Lester. Written by Mark Lester and John C.W. Saxton. On a story by Tom Holland, not Spider Man. The original Tom Holland. The guy who gave us Chucky, uh, Psycho 2, Fright Night. That Tom Holland. Starring. Perry Kig, Mary Lynn Ross, Timothy Van Patten, Roddy McDowell, Michael J. Fox, and Lisa Langlois. It's about a new teacher at a troubled inner city high school. Soon ends up clashing with delinquent leader of a with the delinquent leader of a punk posse that runs the school. Um, this is okay, Mark Lester directs this movie. He is like, to me, in his early stages, he's like a like B-level John Carpenter, if you look at his, his stuff. This counts in there, too. And he also, when Carpenter does the thing this summer, and that pfft, shits the bed, Carpenter was supposed to make Firestarter. They boot Carpenter off there and put Mark Lester and have Mark Lester direct Firestarter after him. Uh, Lester goes on to, I believe he does Commando, has himself a pretty solid career. Um, But he starts out, kind of like he's kind of like a... And Commando has some Carpenter. I mean, if you watch Big Trouble in Little China, they, they both know how to have fun with action. But there's a lot of, if like, everybody, anybody wants to, like, I think Guillermo del Toro has a lot of John Carpenter in him, but I think Mark Lester at the time is kind of a like a, if there's two guys that were similar directors, a similar director to John Carpenter at the time, I always point to Mark Lester. Um, we also have another big director in this as an actor. It was Timothy Van Patten, who he, like, directs all your favorite HBO stuff. Sopranos, Boardwalk Empire, The Pacific, Game of Thrones, Perry Mason currently, uh, Rome, Deadwood, Sex and the City, The Wire. Psh, director of all this. Uh, Perry King, the star of this. A uh, little side note, Scott, you remember how we were like, oh, man, this uh, Star Wars audio drama where Lithgow, John Lithgow plays Yoda when we talked about Garp. Remember that? Yeah. He was Maybe. Han Solo in it. Oh. So we have to find that this thing. actually makes sense. He plays Han Solo. Uh, and then also Lisa Langlois, uh, she's a Canadian horror icon. She married uh, Robert Urich. Remember TV star Robert Urich? And she got offered... Here's the thing. This is a weird thing. So apparently during... Terminator or pre-production Terminator Linda Hamilton sprained her ankle like really bad (coughs) and wasn't able to do the movie she and Langlois had read for the part with Michael Bean and she got offered it to replace Linda Hamilton because of this injury but she was at the time so she had read for Terminator didn't get the part Hamilton gets injured they go hey we need to shoot this thing it's yours but she took a role and was already shooting the Slugger's wife at the time. And history is as we know it. But it could have been her. She could have been in Terminator. She could have married James Cameron. And then later had James Cameron leave her while sho- shooting Titanic for another woman. And then they wouldn't talk to each other. And she would have the rights to Terminator to do uh, like to help produce Rise of the Machines and stuff. And then years later, years later, she'd get to return in Dark Fate... To make the real Terminator Three, um, that happened, so it could have been she her. She
2: starred in Beauty and the Beast in the nineteen uh, nineties.
1: Yeah, she could have. She would have done the
2: that. Eighties, fresh my. Uh, anyway,
1: she she oh. would have. Uh, she would have. Um, her and Pierce Brosnan would have run away from a volcano one <laughs> summer. <laughs> but yeah, so Scott, the class of nineteen eighty four. Have you seen it before this? I had not. I had heard
2: oh, of okay. it. I was aware of what it was. All right. And yeah, I mean it's an unapologetically sleazy grindhouse exploitation film that revels in the worst cultural stereotypes and fears that, you know, suburban slash white America had about the disreputable youth of the era. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you, you know, if you could handle that, it's kind of awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not good. Don't get me wrong. It's very offensive. It's very, you know, it's, but it's, there's a lot of, you know, it's, it's, it's polished. It's well-made. It's well-acted. And for what it is, it's a very entertaining and enjoyable sleaze ball version of what it is that by virtue of not trying to be even remotely respectable is kind of fun.
1: Well, it, it's a time where people were like, eh, maybe we shouldn't do that, but they do. Uh-huh. And it feels like, it, it feels like a, um, kind of like a, A middle school or high schooler came up with this script, you know? Yeah. And it got made into like a big budget, like movie. I mean, it's, it's, you
2: know, it got banned in several countries. Uh, It took a while for the quote unquote uh, uncut version to be available, even on DVD back in, I think, 2006. Yeah. Um, It is, you know, it is often vile. It is often. In a way that I mean, yes, it's violent and gory, but it's it's more just the context of what you're seeing versus you know it's not forgettable Holocaust or anything like that.
1: Oh no, um, no. It, it's it's a it's I mean it's a mean movie, but it's it's a fair R, especially a, by today's yeah. standards. Yeah, um, it's not as mean as some things you could, places you could go. Like yeah. trust um, us, it can get worse than
2: <laughs> us, so. But in terms of you know if Assuming you're not accidentally watching this picture, yeah, it's basically as everything that you want it to be when you mm-hmm. read the synopsis. It's like you know the substitute on acid. Yeah. you know it, there, there was a subgenre of films, some of them more noble than others, where you had an inspirational teacher that came into a class of struggling criminally, you know, lower income, some of whom were in the criminal element students and either lifted them up and made them inspirational or went to war with them. Uh, one of those two. You know, sometimes you got Stand and Deliver and, you know, Dangerous Minds. Um, sometimes you got a Lead on Me mm-hmm. or uh, The Substitute or Class of 84. And they were all intentions notwithstanding had a certain <sighs> Certain blame the kids mentality, I think. Yeah. That obviously, in hindsight, is very problematic. And if to the extent that we took the stuff seriously and maybe we shouldn't, was very bad for culture. In the same way that a lot of 80s pop culture was very problematic politically and socially in terms of people that perhaps took it too much at face value or read it in the worst possible way. But that was, you know, this film is forty years old. I am mm-hmm. not going to not vote for my school levy because I watched Night to Classify 84. right? And in that sense, it's a good time. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, uh, it also, like you know, like Dangerous Minds you mentioned, uh, it includes a song by Alice Cooper. That's kind of eerie and haunting, or like kind of like yeah, it, it kind of in its own way has a big assist at the beginning of this movie in creating like a soft menace it's not it's it's kind of nice sounding but you're like okay well this, something's not right um roddy mcdowell's pretty great in this he gets to go like he seems to handle the b b elements quite well uh great he's always has like he, he's a guy who knows where he's at at all times um he can give you he's great Great with genre, because he knows what exactly to give you in the right place, because he did, like, you know, he'll give you the apes, he'll give you this, he'll give you Fright Night, he'll give you Legend of Hell House, and all four of those are incredibly different performances every time. And he's got that scene where he just goes nuts with the gun, and the cl- he brings the gun to class, threatens students. A Perry King, like, I, what's what all has he done? Like, I, he's like this... Perry King starring in Class of 1984. Is he like a TV star or something? Like he's not, this is like it in terms of like. In terms of high profile sort of high stuff, profile yeah. Things. I yeah. mean, he works. I mean, he's yeah. got a, you know, he has about a
2: couple, a you know, dozen and change movies between 1972 and 2018.
1: Right, but this but is the
2: one that stuck. He was the president in The Day After Tomorrow. Okay. Um. other than that, this is the only me- memorable picture that you know comes to mind mm-hmm. obviously he did a ton of guest starring and you know uh, tv work over the years right um tv and- movies and what have you um i think he was just you know he was a workaday actor and this was his sort mm-hmm. of one lead role that sort of stood out right which is a shame because he's quite compelling
1: yeah he's quite good um, uh, a lot of shit happens to him like there's a nasty scene with them breaking into his home and having their way with his wife to be kind which is
2: absolutely inevitable and they go there yeah in 1982 you're not introducing the pregnant wife if you're not going to show her getting raped in the third act
1: yeah you know
2: is that offensive yes but you know what you're getting into folks
1: um Uh, the movies the the punk guy the kids make for iconic elements I mean they made for great posters for this movie um, they're highly influential to like a lot like you may not know this movie you may not even associate class 84 but the imagery of the the punks like because you've probably seen poster art and stuff used in other things I you see you'll be like oh that's the movie that goes with this there's also like it leads to uh, trauma would run with this they had class of Nukem high yeah um, which is you know also had it's a not, it's a spin off this kind of stuff, not as good, but fun nonetheless. That's one of their better <laughs> things they did. Um, but this, uh, yeah, this is kind of a start. There was class of 1999, there's a sequel to this, uh, that was lesser made later, and um, that one's fun in a really different way. Um, but yeah, this is a kind of a, a really interesting movie it's a different take on high school trouble and going, you know, no, not holding back, uh, saying like, what if that kind (laughs) of like, you know, what if the kids were really bad and what if the teacher got really pushed to the edge and, and I mean, the the final act of this movie is fucking awesome. Like it's pure grindhouse action. Yes. Um, I mean, once he finds out about his wife at that meeting and he goes, it's it's a a concert, I think. And it's, 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 yeah. Yeah, It plays
2: into the whole dueling climaxes thing in a way that mm-hmm. would have made George Lucas proud. And to, to the film's credit, the menace of the gang students escalates in a plausible way Yeah, to where, you know, initially they're just effing around in a way that they might kind of get away with it. It would make sense that the overworked administrators were like, okay, whatever, just Look away, mm-hmm. um, and you know, obviously, their their malfeasance increases, and increases to by the end of the movie, they're committing rape and murder. But again, that's the kind of picture this is. But you're right about the look of the the criminal element, in that you know, films like this and the Warriors were basically inspirations for an entire subgenre of you know beat 'em up video games. Right, man. Yeah. Uh, you know, Final Fight, Streets of Rage, et cetera, et cetera. And even those, to a certain extent, were sort of wish fulfillment fantasies where, you know, you had the more so Final Fight, I think, than Streets of Rage. Streets of Rage, if I recall, got a bit more diverse in terms of its heroes as it went along. Right. But Final Fight, to my memory, and I like the game, but, you know, I played it plenty. It was a bunch I, uh, of guys beating up a bunch of minorities.
1: Yeah. Final uh, Fight. Final Fight is one of the games in the arcade that I beat in the arcade.
2: I've, I've probably <laughs> told
1: this before, but... uh I brought a bucket of, I brought a, a cup of quarters to the Roller Dome one Saturday. with my skates on, and I was like, "I'm gonna beat Final Fight." And uh, people got mad Send at me. Send that wheelchair man out a window! Damn it! Right? Uh, yeah. And I, I beat that game. I beat the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and I beat the Simpsons in the arcade. Mm-hmm. There's, there's one more I beat. Oh, X Men! I'm sure. I didn't beat X Men. That's the what? crazy one. Yeah, and we have it, and we have a place in town that's a. It's called Boss Battle Games, and it's a. It's a. You pay ten bucks, and all of them are on free pay, play, and you can just I go would live there. And uh, one of them's X Men, and my kids will not sit and be patient and play X Men to the end with me. So that's
2: funny because I find The Simpsons to be an incredibly long game.
1: It is long. Uh, Ninja Turtles has short levels and moves fast. Yes, I like. That's why yes. I like about that one um but there was one other game view but final fight was one of them and that one was tough uh but I got through I beat it uh, I'm a champion of a uh, veteran of final fight beating it on the uh yeah yep yep so I know <sighs> um champion of life um, <laughs> uh
2: Michael Fox is I believe this is his, if oh yeah, Michael his J Fox first is in role this. it's certainly his one of his first i think it's he wasn't first alex p role.
1: keegan yet he wasn't no alex this is before yet. the
2: family ties he does not all due respect look like mm-hmm. a heartthrob that he would eventually become yep um he's fine here but i mean it's 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 a you know he plays the school loser frankly yeah
1: he, he's got an actual role it's not like he just yeah. kind of showed up for a scene but yeah no, no, it's a it's
2: a supporting role but he's, yeah. he's he's very uncool mm-hmm. um and yeah i i with the understanding that 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 this is a film of its moment and you know, I can watch it from 40 years of distance. This was a very good version of what I wanted it to be for me. Yeah. It's a,
1: it's a, it's like someone's took a, an idea like, for like let's, let's bring back that seventies grindhouse feel, but with some class and some money in it, you know, that's kind of what it kind of what it felt like there. Yeah. It's a, I mean, it, it's if you, if you're into that, this kind of thing, it's good. I like. I think it's a fun film. Like it, I really like the finale. Like it's silly sounding, like teacher and student fight to the death. Like yeah, it's silly, but man, it's it's fun to watch and stay with. it. it's, it's not serious. This is not endorsement, folks. They do not endorse. Like just because the filmmakers made it, they don't endorse this. They were just making some entertainment at a high level of R rating. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, Class 94, there, there's a nice Scream Factory Collector's Edition of it. I recommend picking up if it's still in so. print. But I believe Shout Factory TV has it um, playing on there too. Uh, you can watch it uh, there. Tubi has it. I think Tubi, that's what yep. I watched if, oh, That's where Shout... Okay, so Tubi yeah, funnels yeah. their stuff to Shout. So yes, that would That make makes sense because that. that's mm-hmm.
2: basically my... That's
1: becoming one of my favorite
2: streaming platforms just because of the sheer amount of schlock, but interesting schlock yep. that they have on there.
1: For the eight billionth time on this show, I will say Tubi and Canopy—they're awesome, and you don't have to pay a thing.
2: And they don't sputter on the computer. No, unlike Uh. Peacock and Paramount Plus. Mm -hmm. Anyway,
1: that's how I want to watch Top Gun Maverick. (laughs) All right, you know, and as you mentioned, Alice Cooper had a song here, but let's check out the songs that Casey Kasem had on the Top Forty this week.
2: Now here's Casey Kasem. Thank you and hello again, everybody. Welcome to America's Top 10. Let's get right to the action on the Billboard Pop Singles Chart and check out the 10 biggest popular songs in America this week.
1: Coming in at number 10, Paul McCartney's back. Uh, Just before, you know, he dominated early on, but Take It Away starts at, uh, hits the top 10. Uh, Wasted on the Way by Crosby Stills and Nash jumps up a spot. Uh, Vacation by the Go Go's jumps up a spot. Keep the Fire Burning by Ario. Speedwagon stays the same. Air Supply um, holds on to that supply with Even the Knights Are Better. At number six, Hard to Say I'm Sorry, Chicago, that stays at five. Hold Me by Fleetwood Mac stays at five. Abracadabra by the Steve Miller Band stays at five. Number two is again Hurt So Good, John Cougar. And once again, that means Eye of the Tiger by Survivor is back with its fifth week at number one. My the fight
2: five year old niece out of the blue requested that song on my phone the other day when they were all over. Oh, I did not ask the context, but I was amused.
1: You're like, did you know how many weeks it was on the chart in 1982? Like, there's weird things that come up, Scott, that I know now because I'm like, well, you know, <laughs> I've told people because it like, so we're you know we're in June right now, so we've been yeah. doing this all year, and now you're listening in August, but my year has been. Oh, well, you know I, you know how many times it's come up that I'm like, well, you know, Survivor, Eye uh, of the Tiger, was actually, if you take out Olivia Newton-John's Physical, which was a carryover from 81, it's, a, it's, a, it's a Survivor's the biggest song of the year, Eye of the Tiger. Did you know that? are like, <laughs> no, no. I'm like, but Physical, that was the biggest song of 82. But the true 82 biggest song is Survivor, Eye of the Tiger. And they're like, oh, wow, that's neat. I go, did you know it was supposed to be another one by Sedus in that movie? I, think so. I um, um. I got all sorts of 82 factoids that nobody cares about that they get me to bring up randomly in conversation now. Thank you, Summer of 82040. Uh, but yeah. So, speaking of movies that, I, well, I guess people care about, The Beastmaster is our next movie. Through the forces of
2: nature, the animal kingdom brought them together. She, the beauty. He, the Beastmaster. Mark Singer is Dar. Tanya Roberts is Carrie. And in a world of evil, they found love. This is their quest, their challenge, their epic adventure. Here's a new kind of hero and heroine, the Beastmaster, reggie PG. Starts Friday at Selected Theaters in Dallas, Fort Worth. Check your newspaper for listings and Showtime.
1: Directed by Don Coscarelli. Written by Don Coscarelli, Paul Pepperman, based on the novel by Andrew Norton, starring Mark Singer, Tanya Roberts, uh, Tanya Roberts. Yeah. who only lived twice a couple years ago. You remember that? That was weird. Remember she died, then she didn't, and then she died again. So bizarre. Riptorn and John Amos, a sword and sorcery fantasy about a young man's search for revenge, armed with supernatural powers, the handsome hero and his, animals, his animal allies wage war against marauding forces. This, of course, is Don Coscarelli's follow-up to Phantasm. Scott, you had not seen I Beastmaster. If I
2: could talk to the animals, just imagine it chatting with the chimp in chimpanzee. Imagine talking to a tiger, chatting with a cheetah. What a neat achievement it would be.
1: Oh, man. I love our musical okay. numbers here on the show. They're
2: great. <laughs> I, had, yeah, I apologize. I didn't interrupt you, but I had never seen this before. I was aware mm. of it. It was one of those films that... Thus, through osmosis, I was aware that it bombed in theaters, did Meh on in, on whatever the hell video was at this point, 1982, mm-hmm. but became something of a cult favorite via a gajillion daily showings on uh, HBO.
1: Basically, yeah, because HBO, <laughs> HBO people, the joke was, "Hey, Beastmasters on." Yeah, <laughs> that was that was what that was what that was the joke, oh, and actually, I never heard that. they they uh, they did a um. They did a, uh, a, a vinegar syndrome recently. Put this on a awesome four K. This is one of the best four Ks I've ever bought, packaging wise. Bonus features, wise. and they got all these filmmakers that loved it, like all the all the uh, Wingard and all them are on there, and they're talking about Hey Beastmasters on <laughs> and oh, stuff. So. Oh, 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 oh. But
2: Troy Brownfield
1: mentioned is. that to me back in the day. So
2: how have I never heard that? I love that. Him. Hey Beastmasters. Um, on. And the joke is not the joke, it's the trio. It, it bombed in theaters, it did on video, but it became a sort of a cult favorite HBO. So we got a sequel that, if my recollection is correct, bombed in theaters, bombed on video, and got a cult following on HBO. So then we got Beastmaster 3, which bombed in theaters, bombed no, th- in video. No, that was straight to video.
1: And, it was straight to oh, video. Oh, sorry.
2: Bombed in, on video and then also bombed on
1: HBO. Yeah. And so. then we got a TV series that ran for three seasons and 66 episodes. That Dear didn't God. have Mark Singer. That didn't have Mark Singer. So <laughs> Beastmaster has been a franchise. I, I will say the second one, rid, one of the most ridiculous sequels, of all, Beastmaster 2, Through the Portal of Time, which is like one of those classic maneuvers where like, we don't have the money for this fantasy thing, so let's bring them through a portal. We're masters of the universe in this shit. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Even though we went, we came before them, yeah. now we're just- Take in the Quiet, queue. You. No. Um, yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but no, I, I had never seen the picture before. It was just a blind spot. so I was actually looking forward to watching it for the first time. Uh-huh. And honestly, it didn't do much for me. Okay. I'm not going to say it's an abomination. I can understand why it was a favorite. A, there's boobs. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm not a boob guy, but, you know, I'm aware that that was during a time when, even if you had HBO, they generally did not show R-rated movies until 8 o'clock at night. So if you're a young boy or young girl, I mean, let's be honest, who gets a chance to see gratuitous nudity in this PG-rated action fantasy that's airing 3,000 times a month, well, there you go.
1: And it's Tanya Um, Roberts who was...
2: And it's Tanya Roberts who... Lovely eyes, I will say that. But I think the first half is very bare bones and arbitrary. And, and it really takes a good hour for it to start getting into gear in terms of the you know, Mark Singer's heroic character actually kicking ass and taking names. Mm-hmm. Um, the final action, extended action climax, actually goes on for a while, um, is impressive, especially in terms of what was expected in terms of size and scale back then and this was a time when a film of this scale of this nature was by itself an event because i mean even after you know star wars and what have you you know films like sword of the sorcerer conan beastmaster dragon slayer um were not run of the mill and it's certainly a cleaner more coherent film especially for younger audiences than something like excalibur -hmm. Which I love Excalibur, but that film acts like it's on cocaine. It feels like you're watching it like double speed. I mean, it just—it's a blizzard of just. I mean, it's trying to fit a massive amount of storytelling into a 140 minute movie. So yeah, I, I can see why it was popular when it was, but you know, watch it now. It just oh okay, this is one of those. Yeah. And honestly, for me, the only reason it stands out is because I'm aware of its quirky, you know, its happenstantial cult following. And it's sort of, it was sort of a go to example of a film that became a genuine cult film due to, you know, cable, not even video. But again, it's, it's, and I always say this, you know, the examples of films that bomb in theaters that go on to be successful outside of theaters. Is actually very rare. It's it's a small number. People like to throw out Austin Powers and I always want to punch him in the face because Austin Powers was a theatrical hit. Yeah, it made 67 million on a, on a 15-16 budget. And then it became incredibly popular at VHS and DVD, partially spurred by the fact that people who saw it in theater said, This is great. We need I want to watch this again with my friends. Mm-hmm. So you know it's it's you know, I, I love Austin Powers, it's probably my favorite mainstream comedy of the 90s, but It also becomes this fake example of false hope whenever a franchise, you know, a Solo or a John Carter or a Power Rangers or an Alita, some of those films I like quite a bit, some of them I don't, but whatever, you know, when those films underperform, like, oh, you know, maybe it'll be like Austin Powers and the second one will break out and be a hit. It's like, that's... That's really how it works, and honestly, right. it's not, it really wasn't how it worked in the '80s either. I mean, you got one semi-successful sequel with Beastmaster, but even Eddie and the Cruisers, all due respect, right. <laughs> Eddie Lives, was not oh. a, in any sense of the word. Right? And I, I, I like, I think the Cruisers is fine. I uh, it it was weird. I was exactly young enough to find the song through the Dark Side to be kind of scary. Yeah. Especially in the context of this musician who apparently died under mysterious circumstances, and you know, maybe he vanished, or something weirdly supernatural about the mystique around that picture. Mm-hmm. But that's me rambling about a completely unrelated picture. I'll let you talk about Beastmaster because I think you liked it more than I did.
1: Yeah, I I've never been huge on Beastmaster, but it's grown on me and grown and grown and grown because I think I remember catching it on like, TV. Uh, back in the day being like what is-? like i remember seeing things in a fantasy film that i didn't think were possible it uh, was possible like i remember it's a scene where they're running away and that door with you know doors always had to have the like pointed ends on them when they dropped the big ones and the guys slide under it and the door like hits him down i'm like what oh my gosh it went there and i kind of i thought that was cool and then i like actually visited the whole movie wasn't that into it i wasn't that into like fantasy stuff though at the time i really like coscarelli i love the phantasm movies i think he's a good mind i don't think he's worked enough i don't think he's been given enough uh john dies at the end was really cool like i like Oh, Bubba Hotep was great. Like, I, I for some reason, I, I think he does what he wants to. Um, I think that's part of it. I hope but, so. <laughs> uh, yeah. But I think he's a talent that we just, I, he leaves me wanting a lot more. Um, especially yeah, like that. Vis- he,
2: he tends to elevate B movies with a certain visual panache that makes them worth watching. And even that's, if, yeah. yeah.
1: Having gone through the death stalkers and like all the yours and all these things, like, this thing's, amazing in comparison to them like this got a, it it doesn't have a lot of money but it makes it look like it's uh, like it doesn't have the the sets it could like conan does and all that stuff but it tries and it gets close to like trying to match that sort of thing it is a half hour too long like this is if this was a lean 90 this would be probably a lot better moving along and getting through stuff like at the beginning but it's got great like looking costumes it's got uh, makeup good makeup like a good like fantasy elements like ideas that fully realized here rip torn's kind of a weird person to throw in a fantasy movie but it's fine yeah it's gotten better i have to wonder too like if conan doesn't come out and is what it is as well done as it is i wonder if beastmaster would be more successful Or maybe turn people on to like a big fantasy swamp like Conan did. Because this isn't that bad. And it has those elements and done very well, just not as well as Conan. And just like doesn't have the support. Like and it comes after we've had Sword and the Sorcerer, which we know kicked a bunch of ass this summer. Spoiler, I think Beastmaster's better than that movie. Conan, and then here we are at the end of the summer. Now it looks like a knockoff. Yeah. You know, and it wasn't. The movie went into product. Granted, there's something to Sword and of the Sorcerer and Beastmaster that they knew Conan was coming, kind of thing, and they were there was a rush to get this stuff out there. So it's not like they knocked off, but they did try to get something similar. Um this is based off a of property already, so it's sort of like Conan uh singer's fun I, I i think mark singer's pretty fun for this he, he seems like a guy that's like well my body fits this but do i like it, it's, it's <laughs> He seems like a, a fun guy for this like is but um yeah uh I, I i think beastmaster's fine at best i don't think it's great or anything but i continue to just like enjoy like i can sit and watch beastmaster and do other things or unrant uh John Amos, fun guy to have show up in here. I liked him. Uh, oh but, yeah, that was a surprise. Yeah. It, yeah, it's and I think a lot of its popularity uh came from you know, and Rise it came from a lot of people not realizing other people were watching and enjoying this and that that early revelation in like the nineties with the internet that, oh, you like Beastmaster too, or you know, and it became like, well, maybe Maybe more people liked it, you know, like sort of those early internet realizations. And because it's one of those titles, it rose in esteem. It's a cult. Sure, cult classic, easily. Easily called classic. It failed, the box office, a little movie, people found it later. Easy cult class, a truest sense yeah. of the word. And
2: yes, it's a legitimate cult film. Nobody was cheating. Um Fun trivia, this is both of these films have actors who went on to voice villains in Batman Animated Series. Oh, Mark okay. Singer was the voice of Man Bat yep. on the pilot of Batman Animated Series. Yeah. As well as a few an episode uh, another episode. And Roddy McDowell voiced the Matt Hatter in a few episodes.
1: Oh, that's right. Yeah. Oh he was great. He was terrific. Oh gosh,
2: yeah. Yeah, he oh. he's the reason why that character works. And that's right. nothing against the animators and the writers, because mm. they knew what they were working with. Right, you know they they, you know they gave him stuff that they knew he could knock out of the park. Yeah, um, yeah. Anyway.
1: No, th- I mean this movie. It doesn't. Really, I mean, Singer goes on to V, uh, which is a much better project. I believe. that, Yeah, V comes after this. Tanya Roberts gets Sheena, and then gets James Bond. So it's kind of a nice little, it's a nifty little launch for both of them. Um, Coscarelli would, of course, uh, wind up doing Phantasm too. Uh, that would be one of his next films, which is a fun. Fun movie itself, but yeah, uh, yeah, Beastmaster. This is probably these two probably the last quality things we're going to talk about on the summer of '82 at 40. And oh, this is better yeah. than a lot of the stuff that we've seen. Yeah, this I mean, is. I a, don't want to yeah. be too hard on it. No, I'm not hard on Beastmaster.
2: I like Beast. I like Beastmaster. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I'm saying I, I know I wasn't huge on it, but I'm yeah. willing to admit it was better than a lot of the stuff we've talked about.
1: Yeah, and I think I think one, uh, one of the reasons it's better is Coscarelli Like. This looks like a damn epic film, and it shouldn't. It should look like trash.
2: Singular filmmaker.
1: It should be like Deathstalker, but it is like close to Conan. Like I don't think it is that. I mean, it's weird. Some of the things they have in common, like the steps up, is a big deal in this. You know, it's not as big of a tower, but it's got the steps up thing. But. Uh yeah I I yeah Beastmaster Beastmaster is pretty cool for me uh, and I continue to enjoy it. Uh, the Vinegar Syndrome restoration on it's great. It's a fun disc to have. It has a nice cool like magnetic case that like shuts magnetically and opens up, and it's got every single piece of like poster art you can imagine tied into the uh, thing. But this is one of the rare occasions where the movie has some really cool artwork for the VHS, the poster, the international poster, and it actually looks like it when you watch the movie. Most of these true. are not. Most of these are not. Um yeah, but yeah. Pop on Beastmaster, have a beer, smoke a joint, whatever you do, have a have a fine little time with Beastmaster. Um that's kind of that's the kind of <laughs> thing I would say it works for if you've not seen it and you're a adult like Scott and I or something and or eat your edible or something like that for that with Beastmaster and you have a good time. I think I think it could work like that. It's not wacky like that, but I think you just kinda just like Yeah, it's fine. Soak it in. Do some work. Have it in the background. That too. Beastmaster. Hey Beastmaster's on. HBO. It's not move. it's not T V or it's not television. It's Hey Beastmaster's on. <laughs> Speaking of Beastmasters on, how was Box Office? Hey, Box Office, Scott.
2: The number one movie of the week of August 20th is, again, E.T. the Extraterrestrial. The Revenge. The Revenge, returning number one after a brief sabbatical at number two, with $7.68 million, dropping 9%, still playing on 1,771 screens, and bringing its total up to $216 million after 11 weekends in theaters. Coming at number two after topping the charts is Friday the 13th Part 3 in 3D, which dropped 43%, which That's a lot for a 1980s. But again, it's a Friday the 13th movie. I'm guessing they weren't very lucky. Yeah,
1: open on a Friday the 13th. Excuse me.
2: That too, yes. Yeah. Uh, There's a period, if it's not the most front loaded movie, then the 2009 remake of Friday the 13th is one of the most front loaded movies of all time. It Hmm. made 65 million domestic, 45 in its first four days, and 20 in its opening day. Um. Anyway, Friday the Thirteenth, three, four, five point four million for a total of nineteen point five. Officer and a gentleman jumped up six point three percent, adding eighty three theaters earned $5.3 and eight
1: hundred two. It is two barely states. third place. It is barely cause Friday the Thirteenth. No, you close. rounded. You rounded up. It's five, Friday the Thirteenth is five point three four. Yeah, five point three four. Yeah. So close.
2: Um, I'm guessing they'll be switching next week, but we'll see. Um. <laughs> Having earned twenty five point three million in four weekends, it would eventually top one hundred and twenty eight million. So it's got a while to go. Uh, the Beastmaster opening at number four in one thousand thirteen theaters with a meh nine point excuse me two point nine five five million dollars. It would eventually earn a whopping fourteen million domestic. Again, it was not a hit in theaters, but it eventually became a hit on HBO best little whorehouse in texas 2.9 million dropping 34 percent in weekend five still playing in over a thousand theaters with 53.3 million the road warrior surprise it's what back the hell? it's back <laughs> where the hell did this comes from <laughs>
1: i know it, it's i love it we get to the end it's all calming down and the road warrior is back they must have re-released it or something they put it on a double bill with E.T. the extraterrestrial.
2: Is that what's going on? You know, I don't know. Because um, I don't see any of the major Warner Brothers movies in the top 10. The um,
1: the adults were too embarrassed to go to E.T. again, so they started <laughs> buying those tickets to Road Warrior.
2: Uh, anyway, $2.58 million in Weekend 14 in 674 theaters. Uh, it would, of course, eventually earn 23 I'm sorry. <laughs> $23.66 million. Uh, Fast Times Ridgemont High. Weekend 2 drops 1.3%, adding 91 theaters. $2.5 million. 6.7 total after 10 days. And Star Wars, re-released again. In its second week of a re release, still in 1,069 theaters, 2.3 million, dropped 38%. Because let's be honest, most folks that want to see it did it last weekend, Mm -hmm. um, or they just bought tickets, it's not getting to Friday the 13th, um, for a 10 day new total of $8.22 million. And uh, ninth is the world according to GARP, 1.8 million, dropping 20%, 17.2 total, and in 10th place, moving up a spot is Young Doctors in Love, jumping up 25% uh, while adding 123 theaters. What were people uh, sneaking a, into? Where was that R-rated? Sneaking into that? It, oh, it, I think it was R-rated. Yeah,
1: it was R-rated. It was like Sorry. sex. Yeah.
2: Um, $1.8 million for a $23 million total after six weekends in theaters. And just below the top 10, Rocky 12 is in 12th place. Jumping up Rocky 5%. Not, we're
1: not to 12 yet on Rocky. It's oh, I Rocky skipped 3. things or 12 fall over because I don't care. Yeah. Oh well, no, no, you said Rocky 12. I was like, no, it's Rocky 12. Oh, I'm 3. sorry. Rocky 3 in 12th place. Fall, fell out of the top 10 for the first yes. time.
2: Um still made 1.8 million dollars. Rising uh like a spire or whatever the hell that lyric is. Um, f- plus plus five percent in 935 theaters with a 106 million domestic total after 13 weekends in theaters
1: um yeah and uh yeah night shift's gone too um crazy crazy but yeah that's a yeah I love that I Road Warrior showed back up I was like what heck yeah welcome back madman because because Road Warrior came it did pretty good box office wise but I was like where was that because it was there it dropped really fast and now here it is again um, I believe it will stay in the top 10 next week as well. Uh, it's, yeah, I don't know what happened. Maybe, I don't know what happened. Why would it come back in August after? You know, I'm thinking
2: because we you- had a few weekends of films that really didn't break out, mm-hmm. relatively speaking. Obviously, there are exceptions Officer and Gentleman, Friday the 13th, et cetera. Because there's a lot of stuff that's like gaming screens, Rocky III, World According yeah. to Garp, Young Doctors in Love. I'm thinking. I mean, is, this is not Labor Day weekend. Is it?
1: No, it's not. That's coming up. Labor uh, Day. Yeah,
2: I, I honestly don't know. I can surmise that films that were not doing particularly well, like Things Are Tough All Over, that loses 590 screens in its third weekend, they were replaced by films that were still in the marketplace but mm-hmm. were otherwise declining. Other than that, I'm not sure.
1: Yeah, just kind of is
2: a mystery.
1: A good mission. If you Tom if you were Morgan around, the Wire. yeah. If you were around, let us know what this was because this was a surprise. Just pow! It's back. Uh, we can talk about it again. I'll talk about the road Warrior any day of the week. But yeah, uh, that'll do it for the weekend that was August twenty through twenty second. Scott, uh, thank you for joining me. Of course, as always. Before we sign out, let's people know. Let people know where they can keep up with you. It's the same place
2: I've been for nine years. <laughs> If they can't find me now,
1: they clearly don't care. All right. <laughs> oh, there you go. Yes. Uh Mendelssohn's memos on BlockSpot.com. That's where he's been. Enjoy your viruses. All right. <laughs> I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Brandon4KUHD. Uh tune in next week as Scott and I close out the summer of nineteen eighty-two at 40. It's the
2: final countdown. <laughs> Okay,
1: I'll stop. Yeah, okay. uh, yeah. The summer is over. Back to school. We end it with a week just as exciting as we started this whole thing. Uh, literally, junk as Brandon and Brandon myself and Scott did our homework to find ourselves together again. Stay. Positive. We're
2: leaving. together together, but it's still farewell and maybe we'll come back to earth who can tell I guess there is no one to blame we're leaving round leaving round will things ever be the same again I can't say the summer of 82 at 40
0: All music and clips featured in the episode are property of their respective studios and no infringement is intended. The Summer of 82 at 40 and News of the Moment, themes by Press Maxson. Additional information on this and other episodes at thebrandandpetershow.com. For any inquiries, press opportunities, or sponsorship, contact mail at thebrandandpetershow.com show is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere podcasts are found.